Well, I want to welcome you to episode number six of the Dads on Tap podcast. My name is Scott Maudsley, and I'm your host for our podcast. And I'm also the founder of the nonprofit Dads on Tap, which I started a few years ago to partner with local breweries in helping craft better dads. Today, I'm super excited. I have the privilege of interviewing my good friend and my mentor, Steve Helm. Steve, you've known me for a long time. You have seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, it's been amazing, Scott, just to watch you grow, develop, stretch you and Natalie and your family, and I'm uh, delighted to be with you. Well, Steve, not only have you had a big impact on me, but you're also a husband, you're a dad, you're a, I think it's a, is it a bop-bop? Is that what they call you, your grandkids? <laughs> yeah, you know, your first grandchild gives you your name regardless of what you thought it was going to be. So bop-bop is what I am to eight amazing grandkids. And if I knew how fun this would be, I would have done this first. You just skipped the first <laughs> process? <laughs> I don't know. It's a blast. It's amazing. Well, you're also, Steve, you have a lot of things going on. You're an entrepreneur, pastor. You know, you are probably the most caffeinated man that I've ever known. Tell us just a moment about your coffee and stuff and what you're doing. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, my parents, strangely enough, didn't drink coffee. We drank tea and I'd go to church and smell the coffee as a kid. It's like, oh, my goodness. And so I would sneak coffee. It was horrible. It was instant, but it was the only thing I knew for the longest time frame. What I also didn't realize was how it affect me because as a hyperactive, now we have terms like ADHD kid, it actually helped me think. And so it's kind of medicinal. And uh, fast forward, I have an accidental coffee company and worked with uh, farmers in 19 different countries in four different continents just to help economic redevelopment. And my goodness, it fed the need in a particular way that I'm enjoying every single day. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. And we could spend a lot of time talking more about that at the end. I'd love for you to share just how people can find that. But one of the ways I always like to start our podcast is long before you and I were dads, we had a dad. And I'd love to just begin our podcast by just start. Tell us about your dad. Tell us a bit about him and about the relationship that the two of you had. Oh, amazing. I would have to say a dad who, German family, World War II veteran, high energy, faith-filled, pastor, very honest, honorable. Everything I know to be a dad or a husband or a grandfather, I learned from him. Just watching his life, watching his cadence, probably the most authentic version of a Christian male I ever saw in my life and up to this date still. He's been in heaven for about 20 years. I'll see him one day, but I am eternally grateful for the father that God placed in my life. And it just gave me, I stand on his shoulders. I see things that I could never have seen had he not been in my life. Well, Steve, if you had to say just, I know there's several things that you learned from him, but if you had to take just kind of one thing that you really learned from your dad about being a great dad, what's one thing that stands out for you at, at a practical level? As busy as he was in life and ministry, he was always there. That was huge. I mean, as a kid growing up in athletics, it's like, okay, I'm going to be doing this thing. Well, dad's there. It's an away game. Dad's there. I win the race. Dad's there. And there was never a time when dad wasn't there. And it was, he just tapped in and it, I knew his schedule was heavy, 
I knew he was always doing stuff, but he made the time and he had to think about it. He had to plan for that. And so if anything is reminiscent in my life of what I saw in him is that intentionality of just making room for not just my schedule and the needs that are pressed upon me, but also just my family, my wife, my kids, my grandkids to be there, not to just try to be there, not to just say you'll be there, but actually be there. And when you're there, you're not checking your phone. You're not, you're not still doing stuff. You're getting to know the people who are you're standing or sitting around. But yeah, that sense of presence is unforgettable to me. And it started from a very early age and it's unforgettable to this very point in time. You know, Steve, our dads had a little bit of an advantage. They didn't have that piece of technology in their hand or in their pocket, <laughs> did they? So true. It's even more of a challenge for dads today. But I think that idea, that power of being present, I've often shared that that my dad was always there as well, right? Like just didn't miss much. And that's such a powerful impact on us. I am curious, is there anything, you know, one of the things we say about dads on tap is we could talk about a lot of the good things. We also could talk about a lot of the stupid things we've done at dads, as dads, right? Because that's just a part of it. Is there anything about your dad and what he, how he parented that you kind of said, you know, I think I'm going to do something a little different than that, right? Or something you looked at and said, I think I want to change this part of how I'm a dad. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I said, you know, I'm kind of in a German family. So being in a German family, you've got this metrical sense of time. So being on time is not on time. It's being early is being on time. So that's ingrained in me. So just finding a, a rhythm that's not so demanding on time. Because, you know, sometimes you can cause there to be a lot of conflict, especially when you got little people, you're raising them. Everybody's going to, you know, get together, get it all cleaned up, get it all dressed, get in the car. And by the time you get to wherever you're going, like church, everybody hates each other. But now you're going to clean it up and try to get in there and act like uh, Jesus just visited your house this morning. And so I think that was something that, that was just him. That was just part of his mentality or maybe his generation. But we found a way to just find and moderate the rhythm. They just made room not to kill the life out of the moments that we had. And so going on vacation. Come on, hurry up. Got to be on time. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, vacation. It's like you didn't have a potty stop unless there was a gas to put in your tank. It's like, are you kidding me? That's 400 miles. 400 miles and your bladder don't necessarily correspond. They're not in sync. And so I found along the way, it's like, you know, when we needed to stop, we stopped. And then we play, you know, and then rest stop and run around and chase the kids and get the energy out. So, yeah, I mean, he wasn't a perfect man. He did the absolute best that he absolutely could. And there were some things though that I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this differently when I have the shot. That's great. That's great. Which is a great transition to just talk about your family. You know, today our topic for this podcast is being a great dad by being a great husband. And we're going to get to you and Julie's story in just a moment. But just tell us real briefly about Julie, about your kiddos. Just give us a little bit of a rundown about your family. Well, Julie and I met in high school. I was a senior and she was a sophomore, very active in our own right. She was athletic. I was athletic. She was a cheerleader. I was kind of this guy doing my thing. I had a business going on on the side as well and doing some, a little bit of bluegrass on the side, had a lot of different things going. And my trajectory was not to have a girl in my life for a number of years. I wanted to go into a certain 
profession that needed a lot of schooling. But then I discovered Julie and Julie discovered me and that was it. All bets were off. And so that last little bit of high school has turned into a lifetime of a lot of excitement with three kids and eight grandkids. And Julie is is a high test, high focus, brilliant individual. She works with attorneys with what she does with FDA and FTC regulations with the natural health company. And so she's really smart, very passionate, and extremely fun. And I think that's the fun factor is where we had probably the deepest connection as we began. And that's never going away. That's awesome, Steve. I tell people all the time that one of the things that I admire most about you is your relationship with Julie and the life you guys have built together and your kids and grandkids and just what you guys have produced in your family. And I wanted to start in talking about, you know, one of the things about Natalie and I is that we don't share a single letter on the Myers-Briggs. We are both wired very differently. We both have strong opinions. And when we figure it out, boy, it can be really good. But if we don't figure it out, sometimes we can have some real challenges. And yet we know the power of our relationship and how much it affects our kids. And so one of the, I wanted to start off with a question just you know, I think you and Julie are very similar. You mentioned you guys are both really strong leaders. And one of the things I love about both of you is how confident you are in who you are. And I'm wondering, how did you guys, with both being strong leaders, confident people, how did you guys figure out how to partner in parenting and not work against each other? Because that's certainly a challenge, right, for a lot of dads. Well, we're similar in passion and drivenness. And at the same time, radically different in other ways. And the first segment of anybody's marriage, unfortunately, each of us try to make the other person us, and we lament the parts that aren't us. Then we grow up and realize that if both of us are the same, eventually one of us will be unnecessary. And so the differences that you have with one another are actually the complementary strengths that later you realize this is the value, this is the stuff that makes life work. and. You figure out what really is important, not only to you, but what's important to the other person. So when you come up against some level of disagreement, is it really that important to you? Or is this more important to this other person? And it's not illegal. It's not immoral. It's not unethical. So really, if I press and destroy, you know, tear down the house to win this talk, to win this point, is that what, is it worth it? Really? And so realizing that you capitulate, you lean in toward one another is is kind of the basis of the whole thing to get on the same page. Then when little people come along, if you're on the same page to begin with, it's a whole lot easier when the little people emerge. And that adds another level of complexity in your household of how to parent and how to love on these kids and who does what. But it starts with that capitulation of I am choosing every day to lean together with this very important person that God's placed in my life, my spouse. And then everything else derives out of that leaning together and that flexibility that you initiate. To that point, Steve, and I know I've shared this with you and I've shared it with hundreds of other people over the last couple of decades. But when I was a young married guy, you know, one of the things that I remember asking you, because I remember thinking, man, Steve's one of the most type A 
most caffeinated leaders I've ever been around and gets a lot of stuff done, makes a lot of things happen. And I remember asking him, like, Steve, how in the world did you live into that wiring and into that skill set and still have a great marriage, right? Because, I mean, I know a lot of us as dads are type A and we're out there and we're pushing and we're driving. And oftentimes it actually shows up really negatively in our marriage and we don't know how to manage that. And you gave me some advice about there not really being a formula I had to follow. Do you remember that? And could you just share that thought with us? I don't know if you remember all the context. Yeah, you know, formulas are great when you don't know what else to do, okay? So it's kind of like baking with a recipe versus just kind of going for it and throwing some, some things together. And being having a brain advantage called ADHD, I wouldn't be able to work a formula if I had to. And so when I embraced this brain anomaly, which uh, some would say is a disadvantage. I see it as a superpower if you harness it. The freshness that you're able to bring to the moment allows you, especially in a marriage, to make some observational statements that are pretty important. Julie would tell you, she was on this, I will say something to her every day that I've never said ever before in the 45 years that we've been an item. And I don't try to. It's just, I don't know what I've said. You know, I'm, my brain doesn't capture that, but I look at her, I look at her as if it's for the first time I go, oh baby, you are incredible. You know, and I'll say something that I have never said before. And I really mean it. I'm not looking for that. I'm not saying, okay, every day I'm going to say something I've never said. I don't go out trying to do that, but I do know this, that for us to have a good home, a good marriage, a good family. The two of us have to be absolutely resolute, I mean, tight together, one. And the only way that's going to happen is if I just continue to pursue my bride. And that has never stopped. She was 16. I was 18. The script that we got from that time frame is never ending. We still rehearse the early days of our relationship. We talk it through. It's almost as if it just happened two weeks ago. And we rehearse it. You know, what attracted me to her? And I talk it out loud at the time. I didn't know how to articulate it. At this stage of the game, I guess I'm better at just identifying what were the feelings or the thoughts that went through my mind. Well, that goes a long way to just consolidating the base of that relationship. There's no room. There's no room between her and me that can get in there and be like a wedge when you have those types of conversations, regardless of what it is, it could be finances, could be illnesses, it could be whatever the pressures are of life. When you have that kind of relationship that you build on, you don't need a formula for that. You're just in constant pursuit of one another. And here's what's amazing. People around you, they see it too. Well, I can't think of a better guard to your household than when everybody knows you're a thing and there is no gap. There's no room for monkey business there. (laughs) Yeah, Steve, I love that idea of of constant pursuit. And sometimes life and busyness and all that can get in the way. And sometimes we can end up kind of moving in different directions. And so I think that idea of fighting for it, you know, you had told me when you shared with me this idea, you said, Scott, we, we do the hard work to make sure that we're always on the same page. We never want it to be, well, he this or she that. It always needs to be a we I want to ask you a specific question along these lines, because I have to imagine in parenting that there were times when you guys had very different ideas of what should happen or what decision that you should make. 
My guess is you weren't always 100% aligned. How did you make sure that you came together, even if it was something that the two of you were like, and we're just not sure we're on the exact same page or that we both want to make the same decision here? I think uh, the basis of that to come to an agreement is, first of all, each one has to have such respect for the other's opinion. If I'm only valuing my thought and my opinion to begin with, then there's only one other option for this person in my life to be around me, and that is to agree. If that's the way it is, you won't have a marriage. You'll have maybe a business relationship, a boss-employee relationship. That doesn't fly. In fact, that's where affairs really start. Because when somebody is absolutely the driver and it's got to be my way or the highway, I cannot even imagine a healthy marriage or confident kids in that context. And so when Julie and I would come up against having to make some decisions, we would have different solutions for that. I wanted to hear what she had to say, but she also wanted to hear what I wanted to say. And then we would kind of go back to go, how did we see it when we grew up? How did we want that different? And it was amazing how we didn't have to like stack hands and take a vote on it. We came to a consensus and we went with it. And over time, you start building trust in that process where it's not so much like, you know, this summit that we're going to have this hard conversation and it becomes just this way that you do things together. But at the very beginning, you've got to hammer through it and not avoid some of the discomfort of talking through that. But I think the basis of the whole thing is I regard her position, her thoughts, her perspective beyond my own. And I'm very confident in my own, but I just think there's something she has that I don't have and she's going to see it. When you start there, you're not going to lose. Even if you don't get it exactly your way, you are not going to lose. Yeah, that's really good, Steve. You know, I often in some of the leadership development that I do and some of the training, I'll often say that, do I agree is a terrible question because, you know, we oftentimes won't agree. And if we hang our hat on, do I agree, then we'll probably live kind of frustrated lives. But that idea of, no, can I trust this person? And it's not about agreement, but it's about understanding. I mean, that idea that you've just shared is huge, huge for our marriage and also probably for being a dad, right? Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the th- another thing that I really uh, love and respect about you and Julie is the confident and secure children that you guys have raised. And now they're married and they have kiddos of their own. But I just could you take a minute or two and talk about how did you guys parent together that built a confidence and a security in your kids the way that it did? Well, it, it's kind of a different doorway than you might consider because we didn't focus on parenting by being good parents. We focused on parenting by being a solid couple. And when the kids were small, where we lived in the Midwest, they came out with a brand new license plate that said kids first. And I looked at that and I remember because I was a pastor, I was teaching on the weekends and I took a picture and back then you didn't have it on your phone. You had to get it developed. And I actually talked about that. I said, guys, if the kids are first in your house, you are not going to have a family. You will not. I said, "What you know what's first in my house? Jesus Christ is first in our home. That is uncompromised. It's the absolute basis of who we are. And Julie and I both agree our personal relationship with Christ is the basis of who we are as individuals. Then 
There is nobody in the world I want to be with other than my spouse. This is a covenant that I have before God, and we're going to come hell or high water. We're going to work through it, and there's not going to be any question of that. When you come through difficulties and you have conflicts, you decide, is it a dragon or is it a gnat? If it's a dragon, you fight together the dragon. If it's a gnat, you swat it away. But our kids watched us live. And when they would come into the room and we're having a conversation and they wanted to talk, they had to stop. I said, hey, I'm talking to my girl. One of these days, you're not going to be here. It's going to be her and me. We started out as a couple. We're going to end up as a couple. You're going to have to wait. Our kids knew that our relationship was the first relationship, the primary relationship out of that. You know what? Kids get very, very confident because Their foundation is solid at every level. So then when we believe in them, that belief comes out of a place of strength. It's like mom and dad are strong people. So if they believe I can do something, by God, I I guess I can. So that's, I, I think, where their confidence comes from. And then, too, letting them try some stuff, fail a little bit, backing up the train, going, let's try something else, and giving them permission to not have to do it perfectly, being able to experiment a little bit with things in life, but also talking things out and making sure they're not running off the cliff. Well, and see, that's a a great transition here. Obviously, you've answered a big part of this question. When you think about the choices that your kids have made for their spouses and the wonderful choices they've made, obviously having you and Julie modeling that's the most powerful influence there. But I'm curious, you know, we've got a lot of dads that have younger kids and that's everything from newborns all the way through high school. You know, what were some of the conversations that you guys had with your kids? You have two daughters and a son. And what were the conversations you had with them when they were younger to prepare them for that time when they would have to make a choice about a spouse? It's interesting. We had a routine Every evening, we would pray with our kids, and it wasn't just prayer. We listened to their day. I mean, it was about 30, 40 minutes to get through all three kids because it was important to take time, and we would listen to them and hear what happened. And But then as we would pray, when they were very young, we started praying for their future mate, and we would talk about it. I remember the first few times I talked about this with Adrian. Adrian was probably five or six years of age. I said, do you know? that the person that God has for you to spend the rest of your life with is in his mom and dad's house right now. And they're probably praying with him too about the same thing. And so we cast a vision that God had a plan for their future. God had a plan for their relationships in the future and that they needed to be the type of person that could trust God in the same way as their future mate would be the person that would trust God. And that trust, that mutuality would bring them together. So from a very early stage, it wasn't just, you know, a crapshoot, hope it works out, hope I find the right one. It was like, no, God's in charge of this. God has a vested interest in seeing your life work, and especially this area where he's going to partner you with another life. So we would pray for that person. We didn't have a name at all. But we would talk it out. Now, sometimes they would have questions. What do you think they're going to look like? I don't know. Do you think they'll have dark hair, curly hair? I I don't know. But we would pray for that person. And I think that was important to, again, talk through just the theology of that, that 
we don't just have a set of beliefs. These beliefs permeate everything we do. And as we go about life and as we go about plans, as we think about God, he's not like some grandfather out in La La Land off on his own thing on eternal golf courses. We have a God that's interested and concerned and active in our own lives. And so that was part of a regular conversation with each of our kids. And each of the children would have their own take, their own questions, their own way of articulating how they understood that. And we had to to kind of synthesize that with them. And each one of them then, therefore, years later, they weren't looking for everybody. They were looking for the one. Who's the one that God wants me to partner with? That person that God has designed for me. That was the pinnacle. That was the greatest exclamation point to the raising of children was their own decision to find somebody that was compatible at the heart level. Yeah, Steve, that's great. And, you know, you bring up a really important point. And of course, I often say about dads on tap, if you know me, of course, if you know you, our faith is central to who we are as a dad. We have a lot of dads out there that are listening that are kind of unsure about faith, you know, whether they've walked away from it or they've never walked to it. And one of the things I do want to say as we get ready to close, and I have a final question for you, is I think what you bring up is really important. I think dads, regardless of where they are in a faith journey, it's something that we've got to pursue, we've got to figure out, because that anchor is such an important aspect. And one of my hopes for dads on tap, as guys are listening, is is certainly for dads who have a faith, you know, hopefully to strengthen it and guide it and drive it deeper. But for those who don't, who are unsure you know, I hope they hear and experience something that allows them to go, man, that's intriguing. That's interesting, right? And I, maybe I need to look into this a little bit further, or maybe I need to get back to something that I've walked away from. Yeah, you know, I didn't quickly become a Christian, even though I was raised in a Christian home, even though I saw it modeled. I was born with what I've come to know as a gift of skepticism. And so my journey was relatively hard to get me to the point of belief early on. Because I just saw humanity and humanity was ambivalent and it was, it skated all over the place. And I thought, what is this all about? I went on my own journey to find what's real in all this. And I read a lot. I was one of those kids that I didn't like just taking it and having it told to me that you've got to accept this and, and just believe in this. And so I think really being honest about one's own journey, don't just let it slide. You know, I, and put it in the place of, well, I'm just not going to believe this without really doing the serious journey of asking better questions, talking with people who, who they've been where you've not been, reading things that are maybe a little uncomfortable to read. But at the end of the day, I remember one person telling me, if you weren't a Christian, if that's not, if you couldn't get there, what's the worst possible thing that could happen if you live by the principles of Jesus? Principles that said, love one another, forgive one another, encourage one another. What's the worst possible thing if you just live by those? And the eternity side is just gravy. I mean, what if it's wrong, but all your life you live by these principles, which are absolutely amazing. But what if it's right? What if the eternity package is part of the deal and it's right? And I think that every one of us has to wrestle that one down to, where are we going to land in this thing? And for me personally, having done my own journey, I would have it no other way. But I did the hard work. Nobody forced me to do it. I didn't just accept it because somebody told me. And I also didn't 
get lazy about it and go, well, you know what? I'm just going to put it in a place that I'm just not going to work on it. I'm just going to decide. I'm going to read the headlines of culture and just kind of be in a place where I'll do my own thing. That's a recipe for disaster. And we see it all around us. I think there's a better way. And that way is the way of Christ. That's great. Well, Steve, one of the things I know about both of us is we're both just a little too stubborn to stop growing. (laughs) We're just going to keep going after it, right? (laughs) And to that point, as we close here, I've got just kind of one final thought or want want to ask you one more question. You know, one of the things that we know is that information does not equal transformation. And just hearing something is not enough. We got to figure out some ways to put things into practice in a practical way. So I want to take us back to our topic on how to raise great kids by being a great husband, how to partner with our wives in parenting. We've got some dads that are listening to the podcast. We may have some dads that are sitting in a brewery chapter that are watching this. What's maybe one question that you think would be a great question for us to either ask ourselves or maybe if we're sitting with a group of guys, ask each other about this idea of being a great dad by being a great husband. Is there one question that would be good food for thought? You know, the only thing that comes to my mind is one of these days, we'll hug our kids for the last time. One of these days, we'll say goodbye to our spouse for the last time. One of these days, we will have made our last phone call, sent our last text, our last email, received our last paycheck. At the moment of all those final acts, those final hugs, those final moments, what do we want our life to be? What do we want it to matter to our kids, to our friends, our spouse? When they write our epitaph, what's it going to say? He lived for himself. He was a stubborn SOB. (laughs) Or he thought of others. He built into others. What is it that we want our life to to look like from the perspective of the end and live toward that. I think it's important for us to ask that question because too many are just meandering forward, hoping they get to a good place. I think you can rehearse the consequences of the good choices. You can rehearse the consequences of the horrible choices that culture says is okay. You can rehearse the consequences of those and weigh those out and say, which one do I want? That's awesome, man. I think it's a great place to end that conversation or that personal conversation in our head. What do I want to leave behind and how's that going to affect those that I love most? So, hey, Steve, man, I love you. Thank you so much for the time today. How can our listeners connect to you on social media, online, get access to your coffee? Absolutely. Well, Java Pastor, just the way it sounds, Java Pastor is my handle on Twitter, on Instagram, and javapastor at gmail.com. We'll get a direct response from me on uh, email. And my coffee company, shareroastery.com, will get you there. And you can read all about doing business as mission and how to do economic uh, redevelopment and really share the hope of Christ by showing people how to get the riches right out of the ground we walk on. And that's what that's all about. And I guess I'm most blessed man in the face of the earth to be able to drink all that coffee that comes out of that ground. Well, guys, hey, if you're listening or you're in a local chapter, be sure to go follow Steve on social media. Go buy some coffee from him. Also want to encourage you as we close to follow us on social media at the Dads on Tap on Instagram. You can also check out our website, dadsontap.com. And 
You can email me anytime, scott at dadsontap.com. If I can be of help to you in any way or you've heard something today that you'd just like to follow up with someone, please reach out to me. Most importantly, as we close, as we do after each of our sessions and our podcast is I want to challenge you. Take what you have learned today and go be a better dad. Yeah.